We started dealing with verse 19 uh, last week, which is, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Uh, the Amplified, which I have there in your notes, is, Husbands, love your wives, be affectionate and sympathetic with them. Do not be harsh or bitter, bitter or resentful toward them. So last week what we talked about was how in the Greek language certain things are emphasized. Number one, that that is to be the continuous uh, attitude of the husband toward his wife. It is to be his habit. Uh, it is to be his choice. Uh, so he, the idea is that he's not doing this begrudgingly. Uh, he is doing it in obedience to what Christ has said. But at the same time, it's also a command. It's a command of God for the husband to... Uh, to love his wife uh, and to love his wife in this way. And so in that sense, he has no choice. The idea is, is that we have a desire because God has changed our hearts as Christians to live in obedience to what God has said. God commands us to treat our wives this way because we want to um, follow what Christ has said. We want to obey this command. We also want to obey this command because we do love our wives. But he gives us a command to love our wives because he wants us to know uh, the way that we are to love them. Because again, the word for love in the Greek language uh, is the word agape, and so that's very specific kind of love. Um, again, it is a love that is, it's not void of emotion, but it's not based on emotion. Emotion's got, in one sense, nothing to do with it. Emotion is a great thing, it's icing on the cake, uh, but this is a very deep-seated commitment to the well-being and welfare of that, of that individual, which is your wife, uh, to the point to where the husband wants, thinks really nothing of living a sacrificial life, wanting to, to do things for her, to provide for her, regardless of what it's going to cost him. That's, that's not really a consideration. Uh, so there's never, there should never be a time where he sits around feeling sorry for himself because he feels like he's always serving his wife and she doesn't appreciate it. Whether or not she appreciates that, we're humans and we still respond to that, but whether that person appreciates it or not, that's, that's God's business to take care of. Our, our obedience and how we treat that individual is not based on their response. Uh, normally, when a marriage is going the way that it's supposed to for Christians, those kinds of things just don't ever come up. It's just not a thing uh, because there's a mutual love, caring, respect, and uh, uh, that kind of thing. So the ma he tells us here, also then for the husband, to not be harsh with his wife, or, or other translations will use the word either bitter or resentful. So that's not telling us that most likely the wife will bring that out on the husband. He is just basically stating that um, this is how he is to treat his wife, period. He, he can never go in that direction. Remember that the Bible is written to uh, people who live not only in various different periods of history, but in different cultures. And so people have a different way at times of looking at marriage and how marriage is to go and how that relationship with the husband and wife is to be. Christianity was really, is very truly unique in its approach to marriage, uh, even more so when it was being written, because most cultures do not look at marriage even the way we as Americans look at marriage. The way Americans look at marriage has been developed by the Bible for hundreds of years. There's no way to get around that. Um, and so we're just kind of accustomed to that. But the idea that the husband will treat his wife in this way and 
in a sense, live sacrificially and be committed to her. That was a very unique thing in this age because in most cultures, the wife was seen really as property. Now, in some cultures, she was special property, but she was property. Um, and not quite viewed as the hired help, maybe in some cultures kind of that way. Uh, the Bible really went a long way in elevating uh, the status and the value of women in the lives of various cultures because they, they really viewed women uh, in a very uh, uh, dismissive way. A lot of that had to do with the fact that men are very uh, much more aggressive, violent, and stronger than women. But it also goes back all the way to the fall when Adam and Eve sinned. And the conflict between men and women, uh, it's not a unique one, but, but there, is, there is the effect of the, of, of the curse of sin. And part of that is, is that men then, a, in their sin nature, have a natural bent towards exploiting women. Whether it's the wife or women in general, that's the, that's, that they naturally move in that direction. Right? That's the sinful direction of man's heart. And unless there's a supernatural intervention by God, that's the direction uh, he's going to go in. The natural bent for the woman based on the book of Genesis is going to be one of stubbornness, at least in the re relationship of the husband and wife, a stubbornness towards him and trying to find different ways to manipulate him to get her way no matter what. So the gospel turns that whole thing upside down, and the idea is there's this mutual cooperation, love, respect, caring, sacrifice, um, and where the husband and wife are viewed as being really equal. They're of equal value. They may have different strengths and weaknesses, obviously, but they have equal value and really equal status in the marriage. One is not more important than the other. They have different roles, but again, one is not more important. If you know anything about any kind of team sports, no matter how great a player may be at a certain position, and even if that player is able to elevate the play of his teammates, it still requires good players at all of the positions for them to be successful. If you are the greatest player at your position in all of history, you still can't do it by yourself. That's, that's the nature of team sports. It is impossible to do that. Uh, um, you know, I, I love football, and I'm not a big Tom Brady fan, but you know what? The guy won a lot of Super Bowls. That's all there is to it. Right? But he also lost quite a few. Uh, but he went an awful lot because, again, the, their team was built around not just him. They had many good players, and they worked together. So, again, no matter how good he was, he could never single-handedly bring his team back from defeat. No player can do that. Sometimes announcers were kind of hinted that when it comes to football, but that's not happening. Right, it, it requires a lot of things that are going on um, in, in that game. And so, again, when it comes to the whole marriage thing, um, no matter how gifted or talented one of the spouses may be, still requires both for that marriage to flourish and be what God would have it to be. And so here the idea to the husband is he's not allowed to move in this direction uh, where, he be, where he's going to become harsh or resentful or bitter uh, toward his wife. That would be just out and out disobedience to God, which that g gives us a very strong hint as to how God views our emotions. And what I mean by that is is that we often think, maybe not always, but we often think that when it comes to being resentful or bitter or harsh or whatever, that there are certain things that take place that it's not our fault. That because of that individual's behavior, because of their action, because of their attitude, this is the way I'm, I am this way for that reason. 
That's not true. We've chosen to react that way. That reveals a flaw in us. Um, so an example would be this. Most everybody would catch this. So let's say we see an individual dealing with a, a little kid. Let's say the kid is seven years old. And let's say that the seven-year-old is disrespectful in a very loud way to the adult. And so the adult loses their temper and grabs the kid and throws him across the room. And then we would say, what are you doing? That's wrong. Just, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. They were disrespectful. What we don't say is, oh, well, in that case, do it again. We don't say that, right? But we recognize that in that situation, that adult is responsible and should be responsible for how they respond to the child. We would actually hold the adult, what? More responsible than that child. There's an expectation that's there. So we, we can't just then rely on this idea that just because someone else behaves a certain way, it then gives us the right to react in, in a certain way or in a wrong way. It doesn't give us that right. You may feel naturally to move in a wrong direction, but we still have the ability to make a choice one of the things that's unique about human beings is in being created in the image of God is we have the ability to choose against our nature. So what I mean by that is, is we have the ability that even though I get angry, to not react that way. I can choose to do that. You have a, if, you're, if you are an individual who puts their head in the, in the mouth of a lion, I'm not saying you should do that, but if that's the kind of thing that you're doing, there may be, come a point in time when the lion will shut its mouth. But we, none of us are going to hold that lion morally responsible. It's a lion. It's an animal. That's what they do instinctively. But who do we hold accountable when we get into situations? We hold the individual morally responsible or accountable because there's an expectation that as a human being, we have the ability to process information, even very quickly, and choose to make a response. And response would be correct, incorrect, etc. And no matter how heated the situation is, there's an expectation that we will still make a, a correct choice because we're going to be held accountable for a wrong choice, even if we're in a situation where we've not officially been trained. You know, like we might hold police, EMTs, etc., to a higher standard because they've been trained to respond a certain way. But in a, let's say it's a violent situation, even a, a, a bystander is going to be expected. So, you know, they have that case right now in New York where this guy grabbed a guy that was threatening everybody and, he, you know, kind of put his arm around his neck. And, you know, there's different theories as to what went on. What, what we have, from what I've gathered is, is he was accused of murdering him because he had him in a chokehold for 15 minutes. But that's actually a physical impossibility because the train, the train stops every 45 seconds. He wasn't doing that that long. And the, I don't think there was any intent. Most people who were there thanked him, saying that they're, so in that situation, people are saying, well, he has a right to defend others. And so morally, they're saying that we don't think he's responsible for murder. Now, the DA, for whatever the reason, we're not going to get into that. You have your opinion. I have my opinion about why he's doing it. Wants to hold him morally responsible, saying, nope, he went beyond the line. Whatever that line is, he went beyond the line, and he murdered him. So they're going to charge him with murder. Well, we'll see what happens, all right? But again, that's, that all, all goes back to this idea that even in, I guess I would say, in nature, in a secular society, there's an expectation that 
adults or that human beings have the ability to make choices regardless of how they feel. So then in the marriage relationship, it's the same thing. God is not going to let us off the hook because we mistreat someone because uh, of how we feel or because of their actions. There's, there's that expectation. Um, and so we need to make sure that we uh, recognize that. I, was, I read you a quote last week from an individual. I want to read you another one uh, that speaks on this issue. Uh, this is uh, another old pastor from, I think, the, the, this is from the 1800s, but he says this. The wife doesn't need to be exhorted to love her husband because it is assumed that her affections are all right. But it is very possible that the husband might allow anxiety, the outward pressure of life, to so occupy him that he might not take sufficient care of his wife or interest in her anxieties. Accordingly, this is the exhortation for him. The wife is necessarily thrown upon her husband. She leaves father, mother and all, and is cast in a peculiar way upon her husband. And if he's not watchful, he may fail in thoughtful love, in the attention of every day, not sufficiently guarding his temper, which seems to be what is meant by being bitter. There should be this affection for the wife, this vigilance against the influence of circumstances, the outward world might often occasion irritation, and then the husband is liable to vent his spleen at home, especially on his wife. This is human nature, and what we know too often happens, but it is not Christ. Here, it is guarded against. So again, he's just saying in, in the way they spoke back then, in this way, that again, there is this command, there is this expectation by God as to how there is to be this care for the individual. Um, and so that's what's expected in marriage. So look at verses 20 and 21. We'll take those together. Um, though it'll take a while to work through them. It says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So again, the command that's given here, because this is a command, children ought to obey their parents, it's a command from God. Fathers, do not provoke your children, that's a command from God. So we have all these commands in the context of Colossians chapter 3, which begins with basically telling us to let the word of God, what? Dwell in us richly. So again, that is the key to this. So even though there may be some good messages about, you know, 21 ways for fathers to not, you know, exasperate their children, and eight ways for children to better obey their parents, that can be helpful. Those are not the key to making sure that these things are followed through on in our life. The key is, is our walk with the Lord. Because that's the only thing that changes the heart. Remember, Jesus taught that it is from the heart that deceit comes from, adultery, violence, it always comes from the heart. So we want to deal with the source of our difficulties. Uh, the source of our irritation is our heart. Our source of our impatience is our heart. Uh, I know that very well, and I don't like it as a human being, because it doesn't let me off the hook. But, and, I, and I am pounded with feelings of guilt, which is, I think, sometimes a great thing. I'm pounded with feelings of guilt when I am impatient with others because I know that it really isn't them. Even if what they're doing is wrong, it's not them, it's me. I, I'm the one that's got this problem. I should not be responding this way or reacting this way. Um, if, if I'm even in a position where I'm, I'm now trying to discipline myself to not say something that, that might not be very nice, that just reveals to me again, my walk with the Lord is not as it always should be, because my heart 
is not changing enough. It needs to continue to change, become more like Jesus Christ. So that's what these things are dependent upon. So that's why then parents, uh, when it comes to our children, we want our children to obey us, and we do need to be consistent in the way we discipline our children. But remember that the key for them is going to be what? A change heart. That's the key. And no matter how much you love your children, you cannot change their hearts. You can't do it. You can affect their attitude a little bit. You can help them become disciplined, but you can't change their heart. Yes, ma'am. Correct. That, that, those two things kind of coincide together um, as we learn the word, meditate on the word, study the word. It affects it. So, because the word, when we talk about the heart, about the inner man, uh, we, it's important to make sure that we don't separate the emotion and the mind. They're very much connected. Um, if they are separated, something's wrong with us uh, because it's not supposed to be that way. Um, the mind is to be disciplined over the emotions, but not to the extent that it, in, that it eliminates being spontaneous. It's not that. So yes, as we saturate ourselves with the Word of God, our minds become different, we think different. That then begins to affect our attitude, affects our emotions, those things. And then we follow through with the will in desiring to do what's right. There's even times we may think right and still act wrong. As to, that's just the complicity of who we are as human beings. Um, but the more that we become saturated with the Word of God and the more that we are seeking to apply it. That's sometimes where people will mess up. In fact, it's not uncommon. Um, I hope that you guys don't experience this much. But it's not uncommon that if you get to know certain pastors or certain Bible teachers well, sometimes in certain contexts, you'll see them behave not very seemingly. Now, we're all human beings, and we, and we mess up. But there are times when those kind of things may happen, and they may be even nicely called out on it, and they just get upset and start making excuses. It's like, oh, t time out. The key to, to teaching the Word of God is not just teaching it to the mind. It's applying it to your life, and the one who teaches must be also seeking to apply it to, the, to their life. So I'm, I'm not perfect, and if you hang out with me a lot, you will see me at times being impatient, because that's a real big thing with me, and I hate it. And I'm better than I have been, but I'm not where I need to be. So you'll see me at times being impatient, or maybe, maybe at least maybe you'll see me trying to control myself. And you can tell, yeah, Bob's, Bob's struggling. <laughs> All right. But the idea is, is that it, but we need to be striving to apply the word of all of us to the word of, the word of God to our lives. It's not, it is not where I teach, you listen and do. I do teach. We all listen and do. Right? I'm supposed to be listening to the word of God as I study and as I teach it. Um, and so we, but we live in, a, in our culture. It's not, it's not limited to our culture, but this is what I know the best. But I have heard countless stories of individuals being extremely disappointed at times when they're with someone maybe they even respect and they see them act out in a way that really blows their mind but then what, what kind of seals it for them is that individual appears to have no remorse, no sadness. They're not, they're, it's not that they have a difficult time apologizing. They won't do it. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, and, that's, and that's problematic. 
So it's really very important. That's why uh, at home, sometimes in, in the Christian home, what parents have to be aware of is no matter how often you have devotions with your kids, how often you sing hymns together, how often you pray together, kids will learn the most from you if you are also seeking to apply the Word of God to your life. That's what they see. That's what they pick up on. So now the good news is perfection is not a requirement to raise godly kids. If that was a requirement, then nobody would ever have a godly kid. All right, so it's kind of built into the process. But even the way we handle failure is addressed in Scripture because we're going to fail. Uh, so that's why I've said this before. This, there's a lot of different studies in just how kids are influenced by parents in general. Uh, and, and I read a book that was talking about uh, some aspects of this. It wasn't a Christian book. But they were talking about educational uh, achievement and goals and aims. Uh, but one of the things I gleaned from that, which I think is really very important, is this. It is great if you read Bible stories to your children when they're young. It's a very good thing to do. And it's a very good thing for you to encourage them to read the Bible and maybe read the Bible with them every day. But there's one thing that's more important than all of that. They need to see you reading the Bible for yourself. Because if, you if they don't ever do that, then you are unintentionally teaching them that Bible stories are for children and not for adults. You're teaching them that when you're young, you should read the Bible, but when you become an adult, you don't need it. Now, that's not your intention, but that's what comes across. Guess which lesson they learn best? That one. Because that's what they see displayed all the time. So uh, it's very important that our, you know, so the, uh, that's why when people, sometimes people will even brag about this. Say, well, I made sure that I took my kids to church every week. Well, did you go with them? Oh, no, we dropped them off, but we made sure they were never late. <laughs> okay, so what are you teaching your kids? When you're an adult, you don't need God. Don't need the church. It's only for children. That, see? And, that's, and, and so when they grow up as adults, guess what they're going to think? I don't need God. God's just not a thing. All right? So... It's very important for us then to be seeking to live that out uh, before our children um, when it comes to that. And then also at the same time, along with that, uh, in case you are at an age or you've never had children, you're not off the hook. Um, because God also holds us responsible for how we influence the lives of kids that we know. So there's families normally in a church. It is important for those kids to see other adults besides mom and dad who what? Love Jesus. They need to see it. It's really important uh, because, you know, some, some, someday somebody may come along and say, well, well, I know your parents were kind of whacked out, but did you really see anybody else living like your parents? And sometimes kids will say, well, no, not really. And somebody will say, yeah, well, that should tell you something. Maybe your parents were a little off. All right? So they need, they need to be around. And I'll say this uh, because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a problem in our society. It's even more important really for kids to see men who love Jesus. Because they see a lot of women who love Jesus. All right? And I'm not saying that's unimportant, but it becomes a detriment when they don't see men who love the Lord. And so that's why we have, you know, we, we try to do that here. We have different men read the scripture, different men pray. Uh, we have different men who volunteer to teach Sunday school. We have men that are volunteering when it comes to VBS and all these different things. Why do we have all of that? Yeah, you know, they do different things. They all don't have to teach, but it's important for them to see that, the, that men love the Lord 
and are seeking to live out the commands of God. This whole thing is important. Uh, and, it's, and so th that's how the church then supports what the family is supposed to be doing on their own. And we become a part of that uh, network, uh, so to speak. So again, this command of children obeying their parents and fathers not provoking their children um, is in the context of allowing the word of God or letting the word of God uh, or of Christ richly indwell us. Um, we are to be filled with God's word and filled with the spirit, and that's how the spirit of God leads us, is through the word. Um, the spirit enables us to be able to keep these commands, whether it's the wife submitting to the husband, the husband loving the wife, or children obeying their parents, all of that is going to be uh, enabled by the spirit of God. So that's why, again, we need to give very close attention to the scripture. So the, the idea then behind what it says here is when it, when it tells the fathers to not provoke their children, that means to stop irritating your kids to the point that it produces resentment. Now, I do think it's interesting, you know, because we need to pay attention to what the Bible says, and we need to pay attention to what the Bible doesn't say, and pay attention to what the Bible emphasizes, and also pay attention to what the Bible doesn't emphasize. Now, we don't want to read too much into what the Bible doesn't say, but it's still significant. And I don't want to read too much in what the Bible doesn't emphasize, but it can still be important. Nowhere in the Bible does it say to women, to mothers, don't provoke your children. Why does it say that to men? Simple. God has created men and women in his image. For whatever the reason, which is not explained, men or fathers are more prone to be involved in this kind of behavior where you're provoking kids. It doesn't matter why. The special command is for dads to pay special attention to not do this. And again, it doesn't matter what the culture is, because right? there's all kinds of cultures. Right? You know, we want to make sure we're not just thinking about this. Well, yeah, of course, because the dad's away from the house you know, working 40, 50 hours a week. Well, not everybody. When the Bible was written, most of them were working on farms. They're home all the time. And when, as the kids get older, they're with dad throughout all day, helping with the farm. So they're together the whole time. So maybe it has to do with our innate nature, the way that God has made us. You know, men and women hormonally are very different. All right? That's not sinful. We're different. Now, sin has messed that up. All right? But we all know, biologically, men have more testosterone than women. Because of that, we behave differently. We do things differently. That's okay. And maybe it's, the, maybe it's the presence of testosterone. I don't know. That doesn't mean testosterone is a bad thing. It just means, men, you need to pay attention <laughs> so you don't do this. All right? So we're going to begin to go through just a, a short list of some things that at least will kind of give us some clues so that we don't do things that will exasperate or cause our children to become resentful. Again, whether you are a father or not, uh, remember that as a body of believers, A, we are around other families, B, we are to influence each other, and there may be, time, there may be a time in the future when you have a relationship with a young father, and the Lord opens the door for you to, be, to basically, as we would say, speak into their life. Don't ever say you got nothing to say. And don't ever say, well, I never had kids, so there's nothing I can, no. That is, do you know the Bible, yes or no? If you know what the Bible says, then you always have something to say. You don't have to have kids. 
to be able to share with an individual what the Bible says about raising children. Now, it doesn't make you an expert. It's true. You don't have experience. And so, you know, there may be some things you don't understand, but that doesn't matter. If you know what the Bible says, that is adequate to enable that individual to glean the truth from the Word of God and the wisdom of what it says. And so there, there are times that we do need to speak up. Um, and there will, in fact, I don't, I don't know if it's, I don't want to be dogmatic in saying this, but I do believe that there can often be a great deal more of this intimate kind of influence in the lives of men between other men in church that doesn't include the pastor. Because the norm is that a lot of people aren't going to say things to me because they don't want me to think differently of them. It shouldn't be that way, but that's life. All right? They don't want the pastor to know. That would be more embarrassing for them. Okay, whatever. The bottom line is if you are their friend and you, are, you end up, they invite you over for dinner, whatever it is, and you see something. Maybe you see the dad just being too harsh with his kid or being too impatient. You have not seen that by accident. You don't have to be a pastor or in ministry to say something that is going to be of great benefit to that man as a father. You need to say something, period. You say it in love, you say it firm, and sometimes, maybe often, it's much better coming from another man. He's probably already heard it from his wife. He's no longer hearing what she says. All right, that's part of the curse too. All right, there's this thing we got. All right, but it, but it may be because a man may say things a little more straightforwardly. You know, we're all different. So I'm not saying that we always do it that way. But the bottom line is when they recognize that someone outside of their family unit has noticed something, sometimes that alone is enough to get them to like, oh, I need to pay attention to what's going on. You know, it's important. Um, and so we, I, I say that because I don't ever want us to get to this point that as Christians is somehow that because a certain topic is being addressed in the Bible, it's got nothing to do with us. You know, if this, is not, if this is not a choice where we say, oh, well, I'm not a dad and I don't have kids, so I don't have to listen to that. that, that that's not how we approach the Bible. God tells us that the whole counsel of God. And so we, that's what we need to do. And uh, so here it is. So first thing, um, this is a random list. And this is not in any specific order. Um, but you can exasperate your child by, number one, being overprotective. You never allow them liberty. You have strict rules on everything. You basically don't trust your kid with anything. And that can lead to a kid, uh, maybe more importantly your son, but not only them, to despair. That can lead to rebellion. And so we need to find ways to communicate that we trust them. So the, the, I would say then the norm in raising children with this is that you do protect your children. And then along the way, as they get older, we find more ways to enable them to have more freedom. We control that. I'm big on parents controlling stuff now. I'm not, this is never like just turn them loose. I'm, I never advocate that. But the idea is not that you control every aspect of their life and never turn them loose. That's, you're not preparing them for life. We're to prepare them for life as a Christian. 
So being overprotective can be a very bad, and it doesn't matter. I don't care what happened in your past. Right? Just because we've had all these bad things happen to us doesn't mean that translates and excuses us to being overprotective in this. We are, we are expected by God to grow and to mature as believers, and we need to understand what the, what the scripture says. Yes? Uh, mm. Can't this type of uh, behavior from mm. fathers to their kids mm-hmm. cause the kids in later life to uh, take paths uh, to deviant behavior and, you know, and, and causing them to get in trouble as they, you know. Except I don't like to use the word cause. And the reason is, is because that hints that... Um, they're not responsible for their choices. So we definitely do influence them, most definitely. So yeah, that's why the Bible tells us to not provoke them because it not only affects them in the here and now, it most definitely can affect them in years to come. Yeah. Yep. And it causes them to make wrong, wrong choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're doing it out of spite yeah. or whatever the case may be. Uh, so being a, being a parent, I mean, it's, just so you guys, it's not easy. Uh, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of expectation by God on how to do this. And that's why it's good news to know that perfection is not this requirement to have children, or we wouldn't even have kids. But we have a help, which is, which is God, the Holy Spirit, and the Bible. And we need that. And we're still going to make mistakes along the way. But even in the way we make our mistakes, the way we handle our mistakes, is really very important. Because what we're trying to communicate to our kids is that we also are very dependent upon God. They, they need to see that. Right? Remember, the odds are already against them. They're born spiritually dead. They're born with a natural tendency to sue sin. They naturally hate God. They are naturally rebellious. They naturally want to follow the wrong voice. That's natural. Because it's true for every human being. We get, we're fighting against the world and their little friends, and now it's all this media stuff. I mean, it's a, so this only safe places in a sense left, hopefully, is the home and church. Man, why, and I don't know why people want to eliminate the church. I mean, you are really up against the odds then. And that's why we need not just the influence of other Christians, but we also need people praying for us. That's why when we do our child dedication, um, and I know everybody who sits in the audience isn't going to follow through on this. I do know there are some who will. We do, basically, we're making a promise that we're going to pray for that family. All right? and so whether it's every week or every month, however you do it, you want to pray for them uh, to give the parents wisdom, to pray that the kids will grow up to, to know who Christ is, all those things, as well as to be involved in church and you know, trying to you know, create this thing that, uh, and follow through what God is telling us to do in the Word. So, so it's, a, it's a very important uh, uh, aspect of life that's going on. And so overprotection really is, is one that people can do that just out of a sense of control. They just want to control things. Maybe it, it can be out of a sense of meanness. Uh, it can also be out of a sense of fear because it may be some bad things that happen. They want bad things to happen to their kids. Uh, I mean, the, throughout all of this, our faith and trust in God is always going to be challenged. Always. We think, we, sometimes we think we know better, and, and we don't. 
So uh, we do want to raise our, and then of course, at, if, if, as, you, as you're involved in your child's life, you should be learning at which point in life you're gonna give them a little more room. Because every kid's different, right? Some kids can handle more freedom at age seven than others. Others may have to wait till they're nine or 12. But that also requires much more involvement in parenting because you've got to prepare them for that. You've got to let them know what the world's like. And my, my view has always been this. I would rather my kids learn the ugliness of the world and maybe even blow it while they're still living at home than for them to face the world as it is for the very first time when they go off to college. That's a disaster waiting to happen. All right, now, I don't want my kids to fail. I don't want that. But I, I want them to learn what the world's like. You know why? Because I want to be the one to guide and direct them because I love them. Nobody will love your children as much as you. Now, they're here. I love I, Isaiah and Ellie. I love them. But no matter how much I love them, I don't love them as much as their mom and dad. I will do a lot of things for them. But they have a built-in sacrifice for their kids, whatever. And so we need to, and so we, we need to recognize that and we want to make sure that we are, we are helping to support all of that and at the same time be the influence. It's almost, I, I almost call it a sanctified selfishness. Mom and dad, you want to be the main influence in your kid's life. Now, now in the beginning you are. You got to work yourself out of that job. Right? And, and, that's, and I've seen people do it. You don't want to do that. You want to be the number one influence. They're going to listen to what you say. They are. They're going to listen to it, and they're going to swallow a hook, line, and sinker. But man, you better not mistreat them and lie to them, because when they get older and they start thinking for themselves, they'll figure out you're not, if you've not been telling them the truth. So we've got to let them know. Let them know that, that you know, some people, when they sin, they have a good time. Got to tell them that they enjoy it. And some of it looks like fun. And some of it for a little while is fun. The Bible says that. We want to know that. But that doesn't mean that nothing in the Christian life is fun. And you know that fun is short-lived. And there's the consequences. And so we want to be the ones to teach them that. Um, and so that's why um, this, this whole idea of not being overprotective is not just them, just letting them go. It's guiding, directing, understanding where they are in life, allowing them to have a little bit more rope, so to speak. Hopefully they would do well. A lot of times they would do great. Um, but, but we want to, to again, help them so that, so, because they are going to leave one day. Um, sometimes we pray that they'll leave one day, but uh, that's going to happen. Second thing is, uh, and we see this in the Bible, we see the, the, tra the tragedy of this, is you want to make sure that you're not, never, if you have more than one kid, you don't want to show favoritism. You can't do that. If, if you read the story of Abraham and his sons, uh, and then, but then uh, Isaac and his sons, and then Jacob, you're going down, whether the sons are from the wife or from, you know, they have multiple wives, or whatever, you're going to see where one is being favored and there's problems. And sometimes those problems last for thousands of years. And so, and sometimes the individual may not be doing it on purpose. We have, you know, that's why usually it's best for mom and dad because you help keep each, keep each other in check. Now, we have to be real about this. Sometimes, just because of our personalities, you may be closer to one of your kids than the others. That's not necessarily favoritism, but we have to guard that. We have to make sure that we have to make sure we're paying attention to that. 
um, and that we don't let them think that there is this favoritism. So it's really important. And, we, and again, as I said, when you read through the stories in the Old Testament, uh, we see the consequences of when that's done and that it can affect the kids for their whole lifetime and maybe even their kids for a whole lifetime. Uh, you know, that's, that's the power of sin. And so this may be more in the area of maybe just neglecting one over the other or what have you. Uh, for some parents, it's, you know, they, they're just, they're all over their first kid, you know, protecting them, doing everything for them. Then the second comes <coughs> along, it's either fine. Because <laughs> you've already been through it. And uh, I, I realize they don't break. So just kind of, you know, pat them on the behind and say, go, you're on your own. You know, kind of, so we have to be careful that we don't do that. Um, make sure that we are keeping our promises, making sure that um, we're treating, when I say treat them fair, uh, that doesn't always mean you treat them the same, uh, but you're treating them right. Um, and you want to make sure you're paying attention to that. And so again, that's where husband and wife, uh, those discussions are very important to make sure that you're evaluating. Uh, because again, especially if we have a natural tendency to be closer because that maybe one of your kids has more in common with you than with your wife or with your husband. It's just, that's natural. It's not wrong, but we have to be careful with that uh, and make sure we don't allow the others to fall. Number three, uh, we want to make sure that we're not depreciating their worth. Um, a lot of kids are convinced that what they do and feel is not important. And it really comes down to nothing more than mom and dad paying attention. Nothing more. Uh, one way to uh, decrease their worth is by just not listening to them. When they, your kids want to talk to you. They just, they just want you to hear them. One time I was, uh, my, my younger son, Jan Michael, he was, he can talk. And he was young. He could talk. I mean, mercy sakes. So one day, you know, we're together. You know, I'm driving the truck. We're going somewhere. And I'm, I'm trying to listen to the news. And he's jabbering away. And uh, so I finally just said, what is the point? You know, because he's going through all of these different, you know, like all the details. You know, this masterful storyteller. I know what's coming. What is the point? And this is what he said. I just wanted to know if you remembered. Talk about feeling like that big. Because the idea of talking sometimes is just the, sh what, the shared experience. And to be reminded, like, yeah, I remember that was fun. I just... As part of that, you know, fullness of life kind of thing that's going on. And so we need to listen to them, even though you may be convinced you know what they're going to say. Because here's the thing, remember, if you don't listen, somebody else will. Somebody else will. They, they may be pretending, but they will. And that's not the person you want influence in their life. You want to be that person. And so we want to make sure that we are paying attention to them um, and then, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you're always praising them and telling them how wonderful they are. You don't have to do that. Okay, this is not about feeding their ego. That's going in the wrong direction. Okay? If we pay attention and we have what I would call this healthy relationship, they're going to have confidence. They're going to have it. You don't have to artificially pump it up. That's going to set them up for failure and for a big letdown. So we're not so... I know there's been all this for years and years with the whole self-esteem thing. Just whatever you know about, just throw it away. So, so it's, it's going to destroy your kids. All right? Um, you want to, but you do want to praise them. Okay? So you want to give them, you do want to praise them. A, you don't want to overdo it. B, you don't want to do it over nothing. Okay? 
when, when they accomplish something good, like let's say they worked hard, you know, you want to let them know. Just even when they're little, you're like, a, you know, these three years old and they want to help set the table and the whole thing is a mess when they get done, but they were trying. You can let them know that you, that man, they, they were, they were working hard. They, they kept at it. You let them know that you're proud of them. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not phony. All right? Phony is when you're just basically flattering them. We don't want to do that. Um, oh, one of my grandchildren, she's four. Rosalie's four. Yeah. Uh, mom, my grandkids are very different in their personality. So she wanted me to, she's over at the house, and she was building a castle. And she wanted me to, to come look at it. So I went and I looked at it. And uh, I could tell she spent some time on it. I really couldn't tell what it was, but she told me it was a castle. It's a castle. And so I'm looking at it, and I said, you know what? I said, that's pretty cool. And so here's this little kid. You know what she said? Thank you, Papa. I'm just like, you know, I don't know where that came from, but she was just, she was happy. That's all she needed. I went back to whatever I was doing with the other grandkids, and she's off doing something else. All right? But so it can be small things. But again, the idea is, is that we want to make sure that we're listening to them and we want, we want to make sure that uh, um, there's that communication. And so you also want to spend time in teaching them how to communicate. And you do that by what? Listening and then getting them to listen to you. Because we always want our kids to listen to us. So we want to teach them how to do that. Um, and if you have a child that's extra shy, you're going to have to work on that with them. Not just with you, but with others. Uh, and so listening is a huge part of it. Um, it's the number one way that we show that we care to other people. It really is. Number four, uh, we want to make sure that we're not setting unrealistic goals and, then, and, and never reward them because they don't meet those goals. All right, so if they, if they draw a picture and it's not a Wurmbrandt, you don't say, you know what? I mean, I mean, I know you're drawing people, but they're stick people. Anybody can do that. You know, that's, that's not, okay, well, yeah, well, you do want to be realistic. So obviously when they're three and four, we can praise them for whatever it is that mess that they drew. But as they get older, we want them to know that uh, you got to try to find a way to say, yeah, that's, that's, that's not all that good. And there's some ways to do that. And because normally they know. You know, they have other friends who just say, I don't know what that is. <laughs> you know, whatever. So, but we don't want to set unrealistic goals. And, and you do want to reward them. It's not bribing them. I'm not even, I don't even think it's bad to bribe them from time to time. I've bribed my grandkids to read. You know, I'll get children's progress in modern English. It's that thick. And I say, Papa will pay you $50 if you read that book. Now, not when they're three. You know, when they're seven or eight. And I said, it's $50. You read that, and we talk, so I know you read it. It's $50. I don't think that's wrong. And, you know, it's a great book. And if they can discuss it with me, that means they remember it. And I want to help to develop whatever. If that's what it takes, I'm good with that. To me, that's an investment. I don't always have to do that, but it seems to work pretty good. And what, what works really well is paying them in ones. Because that looks like a lot of money. <laughs> like, whoa. When they get older, they're like, you know, like, going to have an Amazon gift card, you know, <laughs> whatever. All right, but the thing is, is that, that uh, we just want to make sure that we uh, set realistic goals. And, I, and sometimes it is important to set goals for them. And then when they reach that goal, they learn, they understand what it means to work hard, uh, how, to, how to be disciplined to, to, to achieve something, and then they achieve it, and then you can enjoy it together. Um, I always really enjoy treating my kids to ice cream, because I got ice cream. I mean, I don't want to eat ice cream alone, right? So we will have ice cream. <laughs> and they always thought it was great. Um, 
Uh, and then number five, we want to make sure we don't fail to show affection. Most people have this one down, but not everybody. Uh, we, all have, we all are different in our personalities. It is eager, e eager. It is easier to hug our children when they're little. It can be a little more difficult as they get older. But if it becomes a very natural part of what's going on, it's not that big of a deal. I, know, I, I have 17, 18, 19 year old grandkids and when we say goodbye and we hug, it's a very natural thing, which I think is great. Now, it was never a detriment to me, but, I, but you know, because people sometimes make a big psychological deal out of this idea that, well, you know, my parents never said they loved me, and, you know, they're, okay. Right, and that can affect us negatively, it can. I'm not saying that it can't. But as Christians, a lot of things we can overcome. So I can say that when I was growing up, I, I'm not saying my parents never did this, but I don't remember a moment when my parents, especially my father, ever, ever said to me, he loved me. But what I do remember is, I never doubted it. Whatever was going on in our home, that was never in question. Now, how that was achieved, I don't know, and that's fine. So just because we don't hear it, doesn't mean people don't know. So it doesn't mean you have to say it all the time. All right? At the same time, it is healthy to tell your kids you love them and to have them become accustomed to saying that to each other. At the same time, you also want to make sure that they understand that it's not just a greeting. We just use the word flippantly. All right, so you, there's, there's always going to be a problem somewhere. All right, but, that, but, but we do want to make sure that we're showing them love. And, and if you're naturally not physical, that's when you then ask your spouse to help you with that. Because you don't want to just use that as an excuse. You don't want one person telling, you don't want the mom or the dad to tell the kid when they get older, well, I know your dad never hugged you and never did this, but you do know he loved you in his own way. Just, you, don't want, you don't want that conversation to have to happen. And, and it doesn't have to. Well, we, again, we, we're, we all have our issues. We all have different psychological makeups and whatever. But there are certain things that we should do, and we want our kids and our grandkids to know that we love them. And so we need to express that to them. Uh, and again, if we don't show affection, there are other people who will. Because it's a way that you can exploit people. You know, there are people out there, they are looking for people who have been rejected in life. They can, they, you know, uh, um, I don't, know if we, I don't know if we use the term too much anymore, but what we used to call a con man. You know, whether he's a drug pusher or they exploit people in the sex trade or whatever, there are people who naturally have learned how to read other people. Uh, you, don't have to go to, you don't have to go to school for that. Some people just are better at it than others, for whatever the reason. And they can see who's vulnerable. They can just, they can, by the way you act, maybe by the way that you speak, by certain manners, whatever happens to be, they, they can zone in on the vulnerable. And man, that's who they go after. All right? You don't want your kids to be that. You cannot prevent all that from happening. If, if, if your kid ends up being exploited by someone, that doesn't mean that you necessarily failed at doing that. But we often know the truth if we, if we did fail at that. And one of the ways that we don't fail at that is to make sure that we are doing this, that we are showing them that emotion, that we are showing them that we care for them a great deal, and reassuring them. Uh, in fact, I, remember, I do remember this happening. Um, you know, my dad was super strict. Very, very strict. He's a very strict disciplinarian. I got a lot of beatings in my life. Um, but I deserved them all, just so you know. Every single one I deserved them. Uh, and he probably missed some. 
But I remember a few times when I got in, I guess it was really big trouble, and it was pretty severe, my dad would hug me. Now, there were a few times I did not like that. That's not what I wanted to be doing at that moment. But it didn't matter. He just would hug me. And then you know, he'd leave, and that was it. Now, I remember that. And I remember that I even had some negative feelings when he did that. You know, I, I wasn't old enough to process, you know, the idea, like, what are you doing? You just got beating me and now you want to hug me? You know, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking that, but I don't know what I was thinking, but I remember that. And, and, I, and to the point that there were times when, when with my kids, if there were times that had to be severe or harsh, then I would make sure that I hugged them. And then also made sure at some point later that I would also remind them that I did what I did because I loved them and that I still cared for them, and that me having to spank them or whatever I had to do did not mean that I did not love them or that I did not want them around. A lot of times you may see this when kids are real little. Um, if you have to correct them, whether you're spanking or whatever, you'll notice that within a short period of time, they come running back to you. They just naturally do that. And, and they, they desperately want you to pick them up or to, or to hold them. What are they looking for? They're looking for a reaffirmation of love. We need to learn from that. Right? So even if they don't come running back to you, they still need that. Um, and so, again, God gives us that ability to do this. So, or whatever dysfunctions we may have because of our upbringing, the gospel of Jesus Christ also transforms our lives. We're saved from hell, yes, and we're going to heaven. But there's also this transformation that takes place in our lives. We are becoming different people. Our, you know, God has taken out the heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. Not only a heart that can now respond to God, but now a heart that can respond to what? To people. And it, which definitely begins with our spouse and our children, you know, our immediate family. Uh, and so we want to make sure that that's being developed. If that's not happening, then I don't care what you're doing in the church. I don't care if you're a deacon. I don't care if you're an elder. I don't care if people think you're the best Sunday school teacher that the planet has ever produced. If you're not loving your family the way that the Bible is describing, then it's just worthless. I'm not saying they have to turn out a certain way. It'd be great if they do, but you need to be doing the right thing. And you need to be one that's loving uh, them uh, the way that you're supposed to. You don't want your kids growing up hating Christianity and hating the church because mom or dad was always loving to everyone else, but that's not how they were at home. And that, has, that does happen. And we want to make sure that doesn't happen. It's really very important to remember. So we'll stop there, and we will continue on with the list next week and move on uh, through uh, these verses to make sure we have a good grasp. Father, we thank you again for your goodness and your kindness and, again, your great love for us. We thank you, Father, again for the example of Christ and how you've treated us. Father, we, uh, many of us have parents that did love us dearly, and, and, and none of us, even for a moment, believed they were perfect. But a lot of us received great benefits from parents that loved us and loved you. We also know, Lord, there are some who did not have great parents. We don't know the reasons why. We don't know, we don't know the what behind it. But we know, Lord, that there's healing that's found in Christ. And part of that healing is the way we as believers care for each other. And so I pray, Lord, you would continue to give to us a heart of understanding and a heart of compassion for others. We ask now, Lord, that you would dismiss us with your grace, that you would cause us to think about these things often throughout the week, and that you allow us to come together again Sunday, that we may worship you together, to be encouraged and strengthened. We do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.